0: Hi, this is Dan Vining. My uh, book is called Night Sun, N-I-G-H-T-S-U-N, one word. Hi, uh, this is Martin J. Weiss, and my
1: book is The Second Sun.
0: I was thinking uh, one thing we could do, uh, and you can go first on this one. Uh, Just tell me a little bit about your book, kind of what it's about, not necessarily the uh, elevator pitch, which we can talk about our experience with elevator pitches later um, but, you yeah. know, maybe something that tells you tells me kind of I know what it's sort of about but I'd like to hear hear you say it oh, absolutely so so it's basically a thriller and it's about uh,
1: t- uh, twin boys 30 uh, year old boys that uh, have a tech company in Santa Monica and it's a biometrics company that is used to uh, for lack of a better word, stalk people. Uh, and uh, when one of the um, brothers' fiancés disappears uh, and his brother disappears, he uses the technology uh, to, to find to find them, and uh, it takes them through a journey uh, from Silicon Beach up to Silicon Valley, uh, and. Through the process, discovers uh, the pros and cons of uh, what the technology can do, as
0: well as a, a lot of hidden secrets that are are revealed along the way. Good. My uh, my daughter Ingrid actually uh, works down in Silicon Beach at a. Uh, uh, she doesn't like it referred to it this way, but it's uh, like a ad agency with for crowdsourced internet content. Uh, but anyway, she's right down in the thick of, uh, where your book probably starts and then heads North. Uh- yeah, I, I, uh, I,
1: I, my, uh, I started, uh, my uh, experience in Los Angeles and Santa Monica. And then, uh, I wrote most of this book last year when my daughter, I have a, a six and an eight year old and, and my uh, eight year old was going to school in Santa Monica. So, um, I wrote much of the, uh, the book there, just because i was uh so immersed in in some of the technology companies that were around there and just listening to a lot of the conversations and
0: it it really uh spawned a lot of ideas yeah yeah well it's uh that sounds like an interesting concept my uh my book Night sun is uh set in l a twenty twenty five it's uh kind of a blade runner sort of story it has two main characters and two main uh, storylines that keep trying to intersect and, uh, but mostly without success, kind of like the rest of LA, uh, the two storylines are unable to merge. Um, the first story is a, uh, traffic congestion has gotten so bad that all emergency services are in the air in 2025, including fire trucks and ambulances and, um, and cops are all in uh, these little two-man helicopters called crows and uh, my main character is Nate Cole who flies one of these uh one of these small helicopters and is investigating a human trafficking ring uh the other character is Ava Monica she's a, a PI who has offices out in Westwood and and she's Chasing after a runaway bride and dealing with a whole different group of people than than the storyline that that includes Nate. So it's these two stories. What the book's really about is kind of L.A. in 2025. And uh, like you, Marty, I have gotten a lot of story out of just watching my kids and and seeing how what L.A. means to them and um, the connection to school is always an important one. then um, my book is kind of just trying to, uh, and this sounds like it might be the same with uh, second son, your book is that, uh, you pick some part of life as we know it now, and you push it toward an extreme and suddenly you're dealing with, well, what would happen if this happened? It,
1: yeah, just, I think both of our books are are kind of on the the near future, um, where it's it's uh, it, it could possibly happen right now, and 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 it's uh, it's fun to think about if we're uh, if we're heading in the right direction or not, and and uh, the good and bad that could happen. Um, I, I'm I'm about halfway through the night sun, and um, it, what I what I am really enjoying about it is. Uh, is how you describe all, all the locations, and a lot of them are, are, are real and current places.
0: Yeah, it's uh, one of the things that that's fun about this kind of work is that you can think about what you think will change and what you think won't change. I mean, one of the details in, in Night Sun is that the Garden of Allah, which was a famous Hollywood haunt for, for years and years, and was torn down and replaced, uh, uh, actually replaced by the paved paradise and put up a parking lot, the Joni Mitchell line. That's the corner where.
1: I, I know it well. I lived uh, in the hills above there uh, for a long time and
0: and, uh, and I know the song. And so what I ended up conjecturing was that, well, maybe about uh, 2020 or so that uh, some nostalgic people will decide. Hey, let's rebuild the Garden of Allah, and so you turn a corner, and there's the past that's been uh, shoved into the future. Also, in a way, it's it was interesting for me to to think about what things didn't happen. Um, I mean, we're in the modern world. We're always so sure about uh, our projections, and. Um, Everything seems obvious in a way. It's like, oh, well, this will lead to this, and that will lead to the next thing, and here's where we'll be, you know, ten years in the future or twenty years in the future. And personally, I'm much more of a believer in kind of unforeseen consequences. You know, on something like your uh, your uh, stalker application. You know, it's it does as it's intended to do, but uh, something goes slightly a few degrees off and now it becomes the, you know, the central plot of your story as I understand it, you know.
1: Well, one of the themes that I was I was toying with was um, transparency and, and just how, you know, in our lives now everything is an open book and, and some of that's good and some of it, of course, is invasive. And, uh, you know, I, I like to open my mind about how invasive and, and and what are the consequences and that when he starts to really think about it now hopefully none of these things will come true but uh what I was going to ask you was uh is your vision of the, of the future optimistic or
0: pessimistic? you know it's like when the book was uh you know about to come out people started asking me or they, or it became uh, kind of automatically categorized as dystopian and and I'm fine with figuring out where to put it on the shelf and, you know, how you can tab it with something that will, you know, maybe get you some attention. But uh, that's a great question because I I both feel like uh, things will get worse. And uh, at the same time, I, I think probably the the worst things that will happen will be unforeseen by most of us or or we won't have seen it out front. I mean, if you just uh, you know compare the Los Angeles of uh, 2018 to the Los Angeles of 2017, I live in Studio City. And uh, just in the last year, there's been this market increase in, in homelessness of a completely different kind. I live near the concrete. LA river. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there used to be a couple of homeless people that were around there and everybody in the neighborhood knew them. And, and now there's completely different people and we have, there's a new kind of, uh, desperation in the air among them. And, um, the, the novelist in me, I used to also be a, uh, journalist, you know, makes me want to figure out well what changed, you know, what suddenly made the numbers go from five in my neighborhood to fifty. That's
1: interesting. And 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 we, we have such disparate areas in Los Angeles. So my experience and your experience could be, you know, 180 degrees apart. It's 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 really it's so vast and different. And um, that that's another thing that is worth exploring is how you know, especially in the Trump era, you know, we are having such different experiences.
0: Right. No, I, uh, I just was out of town for three or four days up the coast. And anytime you run into people waiting in line at a restaurant or something, and they say, where are you from? You know, you always say, well, we came up from LA. But then you hesitate and say, well, here's the LA that I live in. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I always think when I'm and it seems to happen when I go out of town is uh, when I'm coming back in, I, I always think there are all these people here who all think that they live in Los Angeles and they're watching channel seven news and they're looking at the anchorman, but they might be in Downey or they, you know, might be in La Cunada or Huntington beach, or, um, uh, I just did a, uh, I went out for a couple of days with, uh, a book promo guy and we visited 17 stores up and down uh, L.A. and Orange County and and it just was another example of like wow these are all these people are all from Los Angeles but uh, I have no idea who their mayor is or who uh, you know the stores are all the same which is I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs>
1: It well, always, it always blows my mind to think that in the last 50 years, uh, our population on Earth has uh, more than, and to think about, you know, 3 billion people on Earth versus 7.5, I think that those are the right numbers. It's incredible. And, and Los Angeles being, being such a new, new area, new city, um, it, it just, it's, it's mind boggling.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I tried to deal with in the book was the idea of uh, what will happen if, you know, people just live closer to each other. I mean, if, if human beings are bumping up against each other more than they used to, you know, what, uh, what does that cause? One of the ideas that I worked into the book was that part of the reason that traffic traffic got so bad uh, was that a new generation of electric cars came out that were just incredibly cheap. And everyone thought that people wanted to have mass transit and, or they at least wanted to carpool. But it turned out that people really did want to sit alone in their cars for a couple of hours a day, you know, getting to work and back. Right. And... <laughs> and You know, and they kind of, you know, they wanted to be alone and, you know, they resisted the idea that makes much more sense of, you know, good, affordable, convenient public transit or working from home. It's, you know, there was something about it that meant, you know, no, here we are, you know, every, uh, it's like the line from Network, you know, just give me my steel belted radials. (laughs) Right. You know, leave me alone. I just, you know, I want to. I want to be in this, this uh, artificial creation of isolation. You know,
1: I remember uh, LA story with Steve Martin, and and uh, it was it was back in the '90s, and it was uh, I think there was a lot of uh, shootings, and and there was that scene where he's in the in traffic, and it's it's open firing season. <laughs> right you know it's it's funny how this uh, how we've evolved and now we're we're definitely uh still driving more did did you uh do a lot of research on the locations in Los Angeles or did you just know just from living living here cuz because you are very detailed about
0: about the places you write about yeah no it's uh it was all stuff that I knew and and cared a lot about i mean there's a just this three or four days ago, I was up in Cambria. There's a little section that's two pages long that takes place up there. And uh, there's, I make use of the Hearst Castle in the same section. And it's just a a result of going up there a lot. And, uh, you know, it's like the line at the end of Casablanca, round up the usual suspects. It's like, when I'm sitting here working, I'm thinking, "Well, where could I go now?" I was reading an interview that that you did, Marty, that online that <clears throat> said that the interviewer asked you about, <coughs> excuse me, uh, asked you about outlining, and you said that you had a fairly intricate outline to begin, but then it always went where it wanted to go, and I don't. I tend not to outline too much, but I, I, I think I know where I'm headed eventually, but particularly in the middle of the book, I'm, uh, I'm real sensitive to my own boredom. I mean, I, you know, I'll write a couple of pages that I think are perfectly adequate and then I'll just think, well, there he goes again, he's doing that thing. And sometimes that'll cause me to change the location or to, I used to work in Marina Del Rey. There's a section of the book that takes place down there. Um, so it's kind of using what you got, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's fun.
1: Yeah, you you and I both come from uh, some screen screenwriting background, and and I think that that applies to uh, how we outline and how you, how you structure a story. Um, you know, where novel writing gives you a lot more flexibility in some ways. Um, I think the discipline that you you get from screenwriting is is a good one. And and I think, uh, especially when you're dealing with thrillers, structure is so important. And um, I'm in the middle of uh, editing my next book right now. And and as I'm going through it, I hadn't looked at it for a few months, and I'm, I'm working on the editor's notes. And it's amazing when you go back into something that you were so immersed in, how sensitive you know you, you you you're you're more like the uh objective reader and and the structure the original structure is so important because if you meander uh or, or go too far off especially in a thriller because they tend to be so plot oriented um i i think that that's uh that's a real real important thing but it never it never stick even even in screenwriting if you have a a detailed uh outline and then you, you even have a first or second
0: draft, uh, it changes a lot as you go because you discover things along the way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When I uh, did my first book and set out to find a book agent, I finally found one and he he represented a couple of other people who were screenwriters who were now doing novels. and And once I got to know him a little bit, he he was talking about stuff that comes in over the transom and and you know things that come out of left left field and and he said he said one thing about you screenwriters is is that when you when you turn to fiction you always know where the story needs to start and he said someone who doesn't have that background you know you might read 50 pages before you know where the story is or what it's what's going to happen or what it's going to be about and he said even in something that's fairly literary you're still you know fully aware that you had to decide you know what moment is this is that does this turn into a story instead of being a preamble to to something there's a uh there's a first line of a Mickey Spillane book that I always, always loved. the The first line was, "Before he took the second shot, he put his hand up to shield his eyes from the blood." <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you're, you're jumping in like, you know, twenty seconds after this incredible thing happened, but you're saying, "Nah, it wasn't even back then. It was like the second shot." And so, uh, I mean, I noticed. Uh, I read the, the first. Pages of of, uh, the second son. And, you know, a a guy comes into the office and says to to people, We've got to talk. Let's go into the pit, you know, this room. And immediately that poses this question of, well, this is what's on this guy's mind, first and foremost. It's not um, somebody get me a cup of coffee. It's not. You
1: know, no, no, no. He's it, it starts it, in a, right. inciting incidents, a crisis, and or somebody's somebody's leaving, and and I, I too like that. I think that um, you need to engage a reader, and, uh, you know, quickly. But you know, our audiences now are different, and I think novel writing sure has changed in the last ten and twenty years, and and partly because of attention spans, and and we're in such a. Uh, you know uh, a device oriented uh generation where people are, are watching things quickly and on their own time and i think um I think novels have have changed accordingly and some and just like the technology in our book some of it's good and some of it's bad you know uh people
0: want to get to the meat of the story quickly yeah I think so i I do wonder. Sometimes I get into political arguments with friends about whether or not uh, you believe in a basically progressive, and I, I don't mean that in the political label sense, I mean that in the sense of something moving forward, whether you believe that life is headed somewhere or whether you believe that it's cyclical. which some days I wake up thinking like, no, this can all double back. It's like steampunk, you know? Yeah. It it comes back around or the garden of Allah in my books, you know, suddenly is back again. And, uh, things that we thought we had moved beyond, uh, you know, we find out that no, we've come back around to this again. And, um, you know, a few years pass and, uh, it's, it's impolite to call someone a colored person, but a few more year, years pass and you suddenly are calling that same person a person of color. Right. You know? <laughs> and language is one of the first ways to see things like that. You know? It's like one of the first ways to, to, uh, you know, to examine what <clears throat> we think or what we're trying to get across about something that's going on. But uh, I don't know. I mean, as I say, some days I think, yeah, we're all headed somewhere, hopefully uphill. And then other days I think, no, it's all same as it ever was. It loops back around again. One of the little side details in my book was that there was all this wrangling about power and oil. and, And it got desperate enough to where, as I say in the book, uh, California built eighty five mini nukes called Schwarzeneggers for their squat shape up and down the coast, <laughs> so right. you know I thought we had moved beyond nuclear power. Well, we decided you know do you want to be you know stuck with a dependency on on the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, or do you want to have a safe nuke that 's a little tiny thing, but everybody gets power for free? So I don't know, it's fun to think about it. And obviously, unlike politicians, uh, we novelists, nobody ever, you know, comes and beats on our door saying, you know, look what you wrought.
1: <laughs> yeah, they know. But, but I think things, things are just in general moving faster. Everything is exponentially faster in our lives. And uh, I, I think um, art is, uh, you know, follows that accordingly. And I think our, our stories are moving faster and and, and changing quicker. Uh, part part of my story in the Second Son uh, that was fun for me is is uh, focusing on twin boys because uh, the main protagonist is a, is a twin. They're about thirty years old, and uh, promedienture law is what originally intrigued me: is inheritance law and how people uh, birth order matters in different cultures. And in, in, in there, um, uh, throughout the story, you start to realize how different the twins are. You know, genetically similar boys with just slight differences are, are so incredibly different. And, and I think that that's, that's an, a neat theme to uh, parallel to fast-moving technology and changes in our world. Right. Some, some, some things just stay the same
0: yeah and there's some things too. i mean my uh growing up, my son had uh twin boy friends, and one of them was his good friend and the other twin was the evil twin <laughs> <laughs> well what was what was instructive about uh that little piece of history in in our family was that this was a case where the twins physically weren't at all alike. You know, I mean, you're expecting the sort of the, the movie version of twins where they're, you know, played by the same actor. <laughs> right. But this was a case where the boys were, they didn't look alike and they had completely separate interests. One was a sports kid and the other one was kind of a nerd who my son joined. Uh, they put a band together at one point and the, the non-athletic twin who was clearly trying to find his place in the world in relationship to, to his twin as well as, you know, others. But, uh, you know, he sort of was the keyboard guy and went on to be interested in computers and programming. And, um, but you're right. I mean, the, you know, sometimes I, um, like everybody else my age you know i you know rant against people with their heads buried in their phones walking down the sidewalk and yeah my daughter and i and my son also actually works in tech he works for a uh uh big medical software company that's based in madison wisconsin and it's interesting just the with my my kids you know talking about the what to me are the good aspects of technology and uh the ones that i think are kind of a simulation of what used to be actual human contact you know it's i went to a high school football game and my wife worked at a nearby high school and I looked around and all of these kids were like sitting next to each other, all texting somebody who wasn't apparently next to them.
1: (laughs) I I know it's it's funny to watch because I see uh, a lot of kids uh, too, and it's just it's it's almost odd, odd behavior. You know, literally, they they stare down at their phones and they're they're sitting with somebody else at a table.
0: It's odd. Well, what I always think about is as soon as I, you know, but, you know, but technology does. not Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I just start thinking almost immediately because, you know, I'm not a fool that, well, what did my parents think about me? You know, and it's like, Oh, he's, or my sister, she's in there on the telephone for an hour every night, you know, talking to her girlfriends and uh, you know, I, you know, I, completely understand that sort of what seemed essential to me, you know, to my parents probably seemed. I mean, at one point I, I was sitting talking with my grandmother and I realized that she, uh, now this was my grandmother, so it's back that far, that, that there wasn't radio when she was a little girl. And now with, you know, the cliche, now man had walked on the moon. And I, I remember thinking of my grandmother that I doubt if any generation will ever see as much change as hers did. But of course, you know, our generation is seeing that much change. And it's it's incredible.
1: we talk about that all the time. My wife and I, uh, because my grandmother died recently and she was uh, 96. And we talk, about, we talk talk about the grandma queer effect, because when she. Uh, you know, was around and there weren't uh, any cars. And, and we always think about what what she never really talked about. This is amazing, you know, what you guys are doing right now with those computers. Or this is, you know, she, it, she just took it all in stride. But I, I used to think, my you know, what the world must look like to somebody who, you know, saw people on horse and buggies when she was a kid.
0: Yeah. Well, you know? how I did know. that factor into to your writing? I mean, what, I mean, obviously you have uh this thing right at the center of your story that is tech oriented but i mean Dad, where where did that start how did the idea come to you or
1: you know the the technology um is is more of a device in the story because it really is about the relationships and the relationships between uh brothers and sisters and and a, a romantic relationship that that's uh that that takes it through the the whole story, um, so I, I think I just I I think I just had been thinking a lot about how the world is changing, and because I have young children, and um, we started seeing the effects of technology on them and the things that they were using, and we started having a lot of discussions about how much screen time they should have and 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 what the effects are, and I, I started having a, a more Or tried to have a more objective viewpoint as a parent, um, knowing that you know there were some really basic things that you wanted your children to learn, like you were saying, the human element, versus you know where we're going and how the world is changing and, and how they will fit in it. And I just, it just, it spawned so many ideas. And and but the essence of the story came from the relationship between twin brothers and how close they were and, and they were at a stage in the life where they were really splitting apart. And, and, and part of that uh, was reflected in my own children who I, I had mentioned were six and eight at the time when I started writing this and they are so different as people, just so incredibly different characters that actually polar opposite that it just, it just fascinated me.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know what you're, experience was whenever you wrote your first book, maybe you'll tell us, but the, uh, I mean, I wrote my first book when, uh, my daughter went off to college and it was, uh, it was taking a screenplay that, uh, came very, very, very close to getting made and then fell apart in one afternoon. And, um, Again, my daughter was off to college then, and um, and I just never wanted to write Fade In again. It was kind of like, I've tried to do this every single way, and some things have gotten made, and some haven't, and I've made right. a living, but you know, this thing fell apart, and, and I wanted more control over it. But one of the things that I knew almost from the beginning was, although the book certainly wasn't about my daughter... But nonetheless, there was something about the uh, the change in my family structure that made me want to to write. Which I think the process of writing is uh, trying to either make sense of things around you or pretend to make sense of things around you and to put them into order and you know hope that. I guess what that means is that the first reader is you yourself, you know, that you're talking to.
1: I, I think uh, whenever you're going through a, a transition or uh, a transformation in, in your life, um, your writing, is, it's reflected in your writing. And, and I, I, too, my first novel, too, came out of a, a screenplay, and I, uh, my, the early part of my career was as a director, uh, first doing TV commercials and then uh, movies. But the movies I was getting uh, weren't the type of movies that I wanted to do or see. So, <laughs> um, yeah. that's when I started writing, writing them. And, and one of them was in development at Amazon, uh, Amazon studios. And I, I, I it was serendipitous how it came to be a novel, but, um, because it was in developed, publicly developed, um, I, I had an opportunity to, to publish the novel version of it. And, it It was so freeing because while I was waiting for the movie to get made, I could actually complete the story with the novel and that that really um excited me and and you know opened up a whole uh, whole whole world that uh caused my next two novels to get written
0: yeah you know it's, no there's it's, a there's a line from uh Eudora Wealthy, the Southern short story writer, where she says, sometimes I don't know what I think until I read what I wrote. Yeah. Uh, And I think that that like seeing your two children be really distinct from each other, you know, it's like you're you're trying to figure out what that means or you're trying to make some sense of it or to come to some conclusion. And in my case, over all of these years, it's it's uh, I'll finish a paragraph and I'll think, wow, I, I guess that is what I think about that. <laughs> well, what's even more fun, uh, for me is, uh, you know,
1: right now I'm editing, uh, uh, the next book called Flamingo Coast, which is coming out in, um, it's getting released in January. So, uh, I'm going through it and I haven't looked at it, uh, for at least six months, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's been with the editor and, and the publisher and I, I got it and I started rereading it and it's amazing because you're, you're going back and saying, that's what I thought of that at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and it changes accordingly as you, as you go through an edit because you start to have a different perspective
0: as, as your life changes all the time. Over time I've taught writing. I, I taught at AFI for 12 years and I've taught at UCLA and, and, One of the things I always told students was that writers have to develop two or three versions of themselves. And one of them really is distinct from the writer himself or herself to where, you know, you're looking at it as if somebody else wrote it. And it's actually a really interesting, you know, shift in your life whenever you're saying, uh, you know, wow, look what, you know, look what he said there, or I wonder if he does think that, or, and you can, I mean, when you're dealing with students, you have, you know, you say you have to learn how to look at, um, your screenplay if that's what you're writing as if somebody else wrote it or as if it's even a movie that you're watching, you know, and you have to say, does this work or does that work? Or does this make sense? Or is that funny? you know or is it not funny
1: well it's amazing when you're when you're working on something and you're so immersed in it and you're living it and you know every every essence of it and then you can for me anyway you know 2 3 weeks away from it and it's and it becomes so foreign you know because you're you know you're 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 changing your perspective and elizabeth gilbert the author um has a book uh that came out uh, i think about two or three years ago i want to say it's called big magic and and it's and it's about the writing process and and what what we call the creative genius and and she kind of takes a different view of when you uh take on an idea and develop it and it becomes your own how it's really truly separate from you that it's not really you it's just you Accepting to take on the story, live with it, and develop it, and it's uh, it, it's kind of a, a different way of thinking of it. But there's some some real truth to it because I think I've talked to other writers too that experience the same thing, where uh, when when you're when you're living it and you're adding your you know your your taste to it and you're like you're you're saying that you're these lines are your feelings about things and your perspective on things or your character's perspective on things,
0: um, and how that changes. And, you that's, know, and it, it's separate from you. I mean, that's why I think it's really interesting to write different points of view and different characters, particularly between men and women. I mean, one of the reasons I have two characters, two main characters in Night Sun is that they represent completely different points of view. And in some ways, both of them represent some aspect of me, but they're certainly not me. I mean, it's you know, neither the female detective nor the cop in the sky, but there are things that out of my past that shows up in in their lives, but uh, it is always, you know, trying to understand, I mean, with twins, you must've been dealing with, well, which one of these am, am I the most like, you know, personally?
1: Well, I think like anything else, you take you like all your characters. You take aspects aspects of yourself and of other people, and 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 mix it up. And and sure, you play God a little bit and and recreate things. And I think um, I, I think you influence all your characters. But I think as the at least for me, the more I write, the more uh, characters are also different from me, and they they can go on their own. Whereas I think when you start out, you try to write characters that are really reflective of you because you're trying to express yourself and you're trying to you know and and it's neat to to trust that the characters can be very different and it's fun to see them interact as they are you know and like you know right now like I said I'm I'm editing another book and I'm I'm thinking you know well this character wouldn't do that and that that's fun yeah that opens up all kinds of other opportunities, even if they are people that, uh, you know, sometimes when you write characters, you they may not be yourself, but they may be somebody, you know, or somebody you think, you know. And it's fun to even take it a step further and to
0: work on characters that are completely unique to you. Or sometimes what I find is I'll, I'll write a scene and I'll think, well, this is the way I am until 11 in the morning when I become am a nicer person. <laughs> right, right. This is my morning self. And this is my yeah. evening self. It's been great talking to you. Yeah. I enjoyed talking to you and good luck with your book. And, uh, you know, and the next one is, as writers tend to say to each other. So thanks
1: again. This is Martin J. Weiss. Uh, my book is the second son
0: and thanks for listening. Nice talking to you, and thanks for listening. My name's Dan Vining. My book is Night Sun.